0: We are on our last episode of book study series, What Happened to You by Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. So if you have been listening along for the last two episodes, I am taking some books and I'm breaking down some quotes from those books to help them help you all uh, tie them to your life and to just understand what the book is about and why it's so powerful and why some of the pieces of the book are worthy of really just digging into. So this is the third and final part of this particular book, What Happened to You by Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. And we're gonna jump right in because I've got some I've got a lot of quotes here. So we'll see if I decide to go through all of them or not because we might be on here for an hour if I do. All right. First one it is very difficult to meaningfully connect with or get through to someone who is not regulated. This is important to know because so often in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, we are trying to, I wouldn't even say connect with, but we definitely are trying to get through to kids and adults who are dysregulated and it just doesn't work that way. It's nearly impossible to reason with them. And that is why when you tell someone who is dysregulated to calm down, never, ever works. It's actually just more triggering one because those are kind of like uh patronizing uh, what's the word I'm looking for patronizing degrading almost words and language is stimulating when someone is dysregulated using more language is just going to typically rev them up more (laughs) so it usually just makes them angrier uh and the reality is you don't have access to your communication parts of your brain when you're a certain level of dysregulated. So when someone is very upset, the words themselves are not too effective. In fact, I would say that your tone and your body language and your rhythm of your voice is probably the most impactful. So if you, all three of those things, tone, rhythm, and, and body language can be come neutral. If you can bring them down in energy, it's going to bring the person down. So the best thing to do is just kind of neutralize yourself and stay present or even remove yourself if you have to, but don't use words. Um, maybe just even restate what they are saying. It's called reflective listening because that will help them to get more regulated. And the reality is this, you can't talk someone out of being angry or sad or frustrated or whatever. And we don't want to, we want we want them to feel those emotions because if you don't allow them to pass through, they get lodged in your body cellularly and that creates disease. So what you can do is be a sponge and absorb their emotional intensity. If you have the space to do that and help them to stay regulated or get regulated, and they might hopefully call, uh, catch a calm. The other thing I would say is to do, suggest, model some type of rhythmic activity because rhythm is regulating. So I say that a lot, and uh, especially like nature. Like if you watch like the ripples of the water, or you watch the waving of the trees and the wind, all of those things are are incredibly regulating. So maybe mimic or model nature itself and some of those sensory elements to match, uh, to get your own rhythm, to your own system, to regulate to those rhythms. Your past is not an excuse, but it is an explanation, offering insight into questions so many of us ask ourselves. So why do we behave the way that we do? Why do we feel the way that we do? All those things. Um, I have grace for a lot of people who are struggling with their childhoods, their past, their relationships. Um, I have a lot of empathy for people. And it's because I understand that people don't choose to be that way, that they're mostly defense mechanisms. And these are patterns created out of survival and safety. So it's not an excuse because as an adult, we are responsible for starting to become aware of these patterns and breaking them. But it does give you an explanation, which makes it easier to give yourself grace. So definitely ask the questions and become more curious and stay curious. Teachers will often say for no reason at all, <laughs> he or she just came at me, excuse me, or he or she just did A, B, C, D, whatever it is. It's one of the most common descriptions or descriptors of behavioral outbursts and Oh, that, I have to still today, after many years of hearing that, seeing that responding to that, I still have to like cringe and also regulate myself and be like, oh, behavior is a form of communication It's just always giving us information. And is always telling us something, nothing is ever for no reason. So note that when something has happened, um, it's never for no reason. It's always communicating something. It's just what we can't see is what's under it. What happened right before it and what's driving it. So get curious what happened that might have caused that. Oh man, it could even be something that like happened in the moment that triggers one of the brain's trauma memories. Like it could be a smell, it could be a light flashing on and off. It could be a sound, like it's just things that we just aren't present to. And and how could we be present to every other thing in the room? All right. Uh, All of the successful models have one thing in common and successful models, meaning like programs that we use for rehabilitation or behavior change the one thing they have in common is they empathize, empathize, empathize regulation and connection. Connection is the most powerful form of reward. It's human connection that drives us. We need it. We've gotten away from it. <clears throat> and while we need connection to people to heal, we also need to learn to regulate our emotions because if we can't get back into our logical, rational brain because we're stuck in emotional dysregulation all the time, we don't heal and we don't fix and we don't repair. Our stress response systems are drained constantly by monitoring the sense, <laughs> sorry, this one is, I forgot how funny this one is, by constantly monitoring the sensory cacophony of the modern world, such as things like traffic sounds, airplanes, radios, TVs, the hum of refrigerators, <laughs> so many things. Um, even living in an urban area or an urban environment taxes the stress response so much more than living in a, a rural or even suburban. Um, every time you see someone new on the street, which if you're in an urban area is momentarily, like constantly new people, your brain has to pause, stop and ask yourself, is this a safe person? Is this a familiar person? Is this a friend, a foe? Is it trustworthy? Over and over and over again. That takes a whole lot of energy. So it takes a lot of energy to live in a city. You get drained pretty quickly. And I think that a lot of people in the city that love the energy of the city, which are probably eh, not necessarily more extroverted because you can hide in the city and be more introverted. But when they leave the city and they go to somewhere really far removed, like I think of like New York City and I'm like going to like that the Adirondacks, the coming down of that, like the coming out of that sensory overload is just wild. And you can feel your whole body just decompressing. Um, I like the energy of the city. I like the activity of the city. I have tried really hard to, to get away from living in it because I don't want my body to be in it all the time. I want to choose when my body gets to go in it and I don't want to be stuck in it daily, but, um, be mindful of how much sensory input your body's getting, whether that's kids toys that are wildly flashing colors, toy or colors, music, whatever. Um, if it's environments that you're in, if it's your own classroom. Uh, reduce the sensory cacophony because your brain just can't handle it. We are in a rebellion against nature. We sure are. Uh, We are the most disconnected we have ever been. We think we're connected because we have these devices that seemingly connect us to people, but it is not deep and meaningful connection. And the reason that this is stated in the book is because we use artificial light to stay awake at night. The foods we eat are extremely processed and way different than the foods that we used to eat years ago. There's even a book. James Nestor uh published a book. I think it's called Breath, Breathe, Rather Breathe. Uh, if you search James James Nestor, I'm sure it's the first one that comes up. But he talks about how all these people have this like these breathing problems and like sleep apnea and sleep troubles and. It's because our mouths are more narrow. And the reason our mouths are more narrow is because we have cooked down all of our food and we are no longer eating like tough, chewy foods so or our jaw muscles are weakening and our mouths are shrinking. And then it's not enough space for our like sinus nasal airway to get the amount of sleep or to have our mouths closed when we're sleeping or awake or whatever. Um, and our breathing patterns are off. I mean, it all makes perfect sense, but it's just really interesting. Um all of these things, they really stress out our body. Microdoses of stress, but across a long period of time, chronically, it just deteriorates us and again, causes disease. So how do we fix the rebellion against nature? We sink back into nature, spend more time in nature, model things after nature, set your home up around what's in nature, uh, reduce all of those artificial things and eat real foods. Ay, <laughs> ay, aye. Yeah. Our world in today is in some ways so much more enhanced and and maybe maybe in some ways better, maybe not. Um, but with massive and really fast paced change, we have to be hyper aware of how this is impacting our biology. And I think a lot of these stressors, frankly correlate to the major and massive problems we're having with infertility right now. I mean, so many people struggling with infertility. It's the stress on the body. The body thinks so so what's really happening is like the body thinks it's dying because that's, what, that's what's happening. If you're constantly chronically stressed, your cells are dying. You are deteriorating. You're going into like a de- death state. Um, it sounds so morbid, but that is the reality of our biology. And when your body is focused on kind of correcting all of that, it can't be focused on reproduction at the same time. I mean, this all again, just biologically, just make, it makes sense. So, how do we fix this? Or you know, what else should we be thinking about? Well, I mean, think about even like families spreading out, moving apart. Even the nuclear families that are together, they're not together. They're not having family meals together. They're not having conversational skills. Or they're not having conversations, and their conversational skills are fading. And I think I read a stat. not I think I read a stat somewhere. I can't remember where it was, but it was like the average family meal in like 1940 was like two hours or three hours, and like the average family meal today is like 15 minutes. <laughs> like it's, it's sick. I mean, it's like so the spectrum is so far apart. We we need to get back there, and, and you know, family meals is, is one way to connect and repair that, but. Um, creating communities, connecting with your community, going deep with people, spending time with people, getting off devices, reducing your I mean, there's so many little things that we can do to reduce our stress and to improve our body. Oh. and storytelling, yeah, we really lost the word of storytelling a long time ago. Things used to be passed down from generations by by the telling of a story, and we really just man, we can't even listen to a story we're just we interrupt and there's power and knowledge, knowledge in, in ancestry, and we're we're losing that. Um, and as we are losing all of these things, the result is a more self-absorbed, more anxious, more depressed, and less resilient population. I mean, we are literally breeding narcissists. That's what our society is is doing right now. It's everything is about self-growth, self-focus, self, 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 and we're very rarely about others. And think about that's like a personality trait that's kind of, can, can be genetic and um, the epigenome starts to shift and change based on our society, based on our family systems. And if we're shifting into more selfish, self-based personality types, you'll have more and more and more people like that. And people that might've been more giving types become more taking types. And that's detrimental to what we need to heal because what we need to heal is togetherness. What We need to heal is community. So think about how you can bring that into your own life, your own community, your own family, your own school, your own classroom. How can we connect and become more of a, a community, a tribe? Because we need that to heal. Today's listener question is: How can we help manage or lessen stress for students and staff? This is hard because what I tell people all the time is like focus is on your locus, of, focus on what's in your locus of control some of these things aren't in your control you can't control the stress levels to a full extent of your staff or of your coworkers or even of your students what we can do is we can teach people how to set boundaries and how to uh, respond better to the stress hopefully they can take care of lessening it um, or you know maybe we can help them become aware so they can take care of lessening it but we're in such a reactive state of being right now so We kind of have to be until we can get neutralized. And when you're neutralized and you can manage your stress, then you can work on reducing it. So here's what I would say. Teach people to manage their stress first, and then they can work on reducing it. And that takes us to our try-at-home tip, which is what I'm going to call a slow ride. (laughs) It makes me giggle a little bit. But when you are running, I I, I say running is not a good example, when you're on a bike, uh, riding something Um, go intentionally slow. I mean, we associate bikes with like exercise and movement and spin and fast and all these things. I encourage you to whatever you're doing. Like if you're used to doing runs, do, do a walk or put a walk at the end of the run. If you're used to going fast on a bike, go slow because it becomes a mindful ride. Then it becomes a, an a out inside, out in nature, you're going slow. And as you're physically going slow, your inner body and mind and all the things internally slow down. If you go fast, all those things go fast. As we are in a very fast society and a very stressed out society, what will help fix that is to go slow. So take a slow ride. That's it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember our try to home tip, which is slow ride. If you're looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior, or the brain, I'd like to be love to be a part of that learning journey. Behavior Hub offers a range of supports from coaching to online courses, to training programs, even university credit. If you want to learn more, just shoot me an email through the Behavior Hub website. And don't forget to lock in what you learned today by sharing it with someone else, commenting below what your biggest takeaway was, or just subscribing to future episodes to learn more about how to hack your brain, hack your body. Until next episode, I am Lauren Stigelmeyer, and thanks for joining me.